This morning we are uh, going to continue, it's been a few Sundays now, but we'll continue the study we began in the book of Ecclesiastes. We left off in chapter 5, we went through the first uh, seven verses, and I was going to skip ahead to chapter 7, but uh, I thought, no, uh, there's material here in the rest of this chapter 5 that that we should consider, uh, and it has to do with pow- things like power and money and possessions. So let's read verses 8 through 20 of Ecclesiastes chapter 5. <clears throat> And Solomon, who wrote this book, says, If you see the oppression of the poor and the violent perversion of justice and righteousness in a province, do not marvel at the matter, for high official watches over high official, and higher officials are over them. Moreover, the profit of the land is for all. The king himself is served from the field. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver nor he who loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. So what profit have the owners except to see them with their eyes? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much. But the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. There is a severe evil which I have seen under the sun, riches kept for their owner to his hurt. But those riches perish through misfortune. When he begets a son, there's nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, naked shall he return. To go as he came, he shall take nothing from his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. And this also is a severe evil, that exactly, that just exactly as he came, so shall he go. And what profit has he who has labored for the wind? All his days he also eats in darkness, He has much sorrow and sickness and anger. Verse 18, here is what I have seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink, to enjoy the good of all his labor in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life which God gives him, for it is his heritage. And for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and given him power to eat of it, to receive his heritage and rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. For he will not dwell unduly on the days of his life, because God keeps him busy with the joy of his heart. Now this is uh, the living word of God, and may he write it on our hearts today as we hear it proclaimed. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and pray uh, that it would not fall on deaf ears, uh, that it would not fall on inattentive ears, that it would not fall on hard hearts, Lord, but that you would open our ears and soften our hearts today to receive the, with meekness the implanted word of God in Jesus' name. Amen. In the book of Ecclesiastes, just as a reminder, King Solomon is taking on the role of an observer of life. And he had been through and done pretty much uh, everything and anything you can imagine in life. He had it all. And so he has uh, the, the, the experience to tell us what he has seen, and he describes life under the sun, and he concludes that it's all vanity. Under the sun means uh, that life that is lived without any recognition of God. 
just life as it is, apart from God. But thankfully, he also presents the view we call that under the heaven view. Uh, That is life from God's perspective. When you bring God back into the picture, it does change things. Well, this morning, you likely came to church with problems uh, that uh, were on your mind. Things that you've been thinking about. It might be uh, sickness, like I've been thinking about this week because I was sick this week. Uh, And uh, that was a problem, but uh, I thank God that I'm better. Some come with uh, financial concerns. Money has been on your mind or relationship matters. A broken relationship, conflict uh, are perhaps on your mind. Uh, Others come with thoughts of what's going on in the world, the, the news and how it discourages us, how it makes us afraid and so on. Well, the difficulties and the problems of life, they're common to us all. And it's easy on the one hand to get discouraged if we focus uh, on these problems, isn't it? Uh, if, you, if you focus on, on them, they get worse, they get bigger, they get magnified. Uh, and, and Solomon often, what he does is is focus on these problems in the book of Ecclesiastes. And why does he do that? Why does he make us so miserable? Well, he wants us, first of all, to face reality. Uh, we we uh, can often look at things uh, with uh, a, 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 in a state of denial. We can deny reality. We want to pretend everything's uh, well and it's all going to work out, which you know, on the one hand it will, but... We don't really know how everything's going to work out. Uh, On the other hand, we can go the opposite direction. We can feel like giving up in the face of of all the difficulties we have. And uh, the the good news is Solomon uh, is going to show us uh, better ways out if we stick around long enough to hear it. Because he's very heavy on the negative, on the perspective uh, of, of that everything is vanity. It's all empty, meaningless, and, and it's, it's just like wind. Uh, uh, and yet there is good news if we pause and, and we stop to listen to what Solomon has to say. So in the passage today, Solomon is looking at the problems of power and oppression on the one hand, and then he brings in this issue of money and possession. So there's two points, two issues today. And the first one just is, is dealt with in verses... Uh, 8 and 9, and I would call it the problem of the abuse of power, uh, or the abuse of the powerful, the oppression of the poor. Verse 8, he speaks of the oppression of the poor and the violent perversion of justice. It's not the first time that Solomon mentions oppression uh, in the book. If you go back to chapter 4, verse 1, he said that he saw the tears of the oppressed that they had no comforter. He said, on the side of their oppressors, there's power, but they have no comforter. That is the poor. So so those who are in power, they are often tempted to use their power uh, to uh, oppress those who are less powerful than they are. Wealth can uh, bring often a greater degree of power. Usually the powerful are are also wealthy. And, um, you know, it's... uh, reading about uh, this week. It's been in the news, the World Economic Forum, WEF. Uh, And uh, wealthy elites from around the world, super wealthy elites, uh, meet in Davos, Switzerland uh, once a year to discuss how they think the world should be run. 
and, uh, and they have a lot of money, and they think they have the right to tell the rest of the world how uh, it, it should live. They, they think they have the right to rule the world, in, in essence, and uh, they kind of have that, that air about them that they think they are the rulers. But uh, one speaker of this year's event uh, uh, believes that, and, and you know, there's some, such a thing as the International Criminal Court, for example, that, and, and the, that court punishes things like, you know, the, the, the Nazis who, who were involved in, in great crimes and people who were involved in genocide, uh, crimes against humanity and, and things like that. But, but this speaker this year says that they should punish um, farmers for uh, their, the effects of farming on the land and so on. And so farmers in Europe, we've already seen this uh, for a number of years, uh, farmers in Europe have faced uh, attacks by their own government. Uh, the, the government of the Netherlands, for example, uh, recently attempted to shut down thousands of farms and farmers in the name of climate justice. And uh, the good thing was that the farmers organized, along with other ordinary sim uh, citizens, to oppose that abuse of power. And, uh, you know, uh, they, they were oppressed. The farmers were oppressed. It's happening in Germany right now. That's, uh, they're, they're trying to do the same thing. They're basically trying to put farmers out of business. That doesn't make a lot of sense because we need farmers. Uh, and I can think of other scenarios. Uh, I think today is, is known as uh, Human Life Sunday. And, and this is um, a day where we think about and pray for and seek to, to remind ourselves of the need to continue to work for uh, the, the, the saving of unborn children who are violently oppressed in our own country because millions are murdered uh, in their mother's wombs. Well, what does Solomon have to say about oppression and injustice? You could, and injustice. You can fill in the blank. Uh, and we'll talk more about different things, particularly Christian persecution in the world. But what does he have to say about this? In verse 8, his main point, and there are other things he could say, but his main point is do not marvel at the matter. Don't be surprised. Uh, don't be amazed at this. Why not? Because it's part of the vanity of the world. Uh, what, what else would we expect in a fallen world? Uh, don't be surprised at sin. Don't be surprised at great sin in this world. We live in a fallen world. And, and the elites and, and those who are in power, they, they seem to be shielded by their uh, wealth and so on. Uh, but ordinary citizens, farmers and uh, others, you know, kind of take it on the chin. But uh, and certainly there are good politicians. There are good leaders uh, around the world, in, in our own country. But it seems like th that our government has has become more and more secular, purely secular, and operating by worldly principles, and often by uh, anti... The current administration, I believe, operates uh, with anti-Christian um, principles uh, many times. And so, though we should seek justice in this world, Justice for the unborn, justice for the farmer, justice for anybody that is being mistreated. Uh, we shouldn't expect too much from this world. Solomon's very pessimistic here. Uh, Derek Kidner, in his commentary, writes, Solomon pins no hopes on utopian schemes or on revolution. He knows what is in man. 
And those who, who, who dream of a utopia on earth that we can make our world this wonderful place, uh, it's not going to happen. Not, not until Jesus comes back. Uh, and that doesn't mean we shouldn't work for, for good and, and for justice, but we shouldn't expect too much. Uh, because, you know, high official watches over high official, higher officials are over them. Uh, we, can't, we don't seem to have much impact uh, on these people in high places. Uh, there's not a lot we can do sometimes. And, um, but, you know, Jesus kind of had a similar view of life in John 2, 24. It says, but Jesus did not commit himself to them, to certain people, because he knew all men. And, and he had no need that anyone should testify of man because he knew what was in man. Jesus knew what we learned from Scripture is that there's nothing good by nature in any human being. And that by nature we are, uh, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's that by nature the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. So when you look at someone in power promising uh, that that they're going to do good and wonderful things for you, uh, you know, you hope for the best. But uh, I don't, I don't think we can fully trust human beings uh, and and the rich and wealthy they're they're no better than others and often worse and uh, and yet the bible tells us one of the main purposes of government is to put down violence and injustice and so those in authority ought to be doing that and we should try to hold them accountable to do that uh, they should be protecting the our their own citizens especially the weak uh, the weak among us, uh, to see that justice and righteousness prevail. Uh, so the, the different levels uh, in our own country, we have different levels of government, different branches. They're supposed to keep each other accountable to ensure that justice is done. But often it is not. Often it is not. So what happens uh, when, when corruption is found in the halls of justice and government, when justice does not take place, then what? Uh, what can you and I do? What, what can a poor, uh, powerless citizen do in the face of tyranny and injustice? And what about the, the injustice done to Christians around the world uh, who are being uh, persecuted and oppressed by those in power? What should the Christian do when he is oppressed by the wicked? First Peter 4.19 answers, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So two things, trust God and do good. Trust God and do good. Um, because you see, God is the ultimate authority, isn't he? It says that everything is open and laid bare before him with whom we have uh, to do. And so he sees everything, and eventually he's going to right all wrongs, if not in this life and the next. Psalm 10 says, Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will cause your ear to hear, to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may oppress no more. One day, the oppressor is going to get justice, and those who have been oppressed will uh, be taken care of. God has not forgotten the cry of, of the humble, of the believer, of the poor, of the oppressed. And James talks about this in his epistle. He mentions those who lived in luxury on the earth. Uh, they had condemned and oppressed and, and had uh, murdered. Uh, 
you know, those who are poor, murdered believers. James says that you who are suffering, be patient. Be patient for what? He says, wait and be patient for the coming of the Lord. The Lord is coming back. Uh, the coming of the Lord is at hand, James says. And what is he going to do? He's going to deal with all the injustice and all the violence uh, that was uh, in that day that was done on the earth. And, and God is going to, the Bible tells us over and over, he will avenge his people. Um, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Leave vengeance to him. It may take a while. Sometimes it takes a long time. Sometimes it takes until Jesus comes back. But he will avenge his people. Luke 18, 7. Shall not God avenge his own elect who cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? So be patient. Uh, cry, pray, seek the Lord. Uh, and, and aside from the final judgment, Solomon has another word for the, for the wicked rulers, especially those who, I would say, want to put farmers and people like that out of business. Verse 9, he says, Moreover, the profit of the land is for all. Even the king is served from the field. And so what he's saying, all, we all benefit from farmers, from laborers, from those who do, whether, you know, and there's other things we could mention. But, uh, you know, those who rule need to be concerned for these people because uh, their own, the, the welfare of the nation, their own welfare depends uh, on their work. And one could hope and pray that our leaders would recognize these things because that the issue of trying to shut down farming i don't know what they're going to do in its place you know but um you know th this is something that we see uh, trying to happen in our own country it's not as prominent yet but you know the u.s likes uh, the the liberal side of uh, the left side of this country tries to follow europe and so if they're going to do that we can see that coming in our own country uh, so pray for the leaders that we have. Pray for justice. And if you happen to be in a position of authority, uh, uh, then take care, uh, you know, how you deal with others. Uh, uh, you know, and uh, remember this. We all need to remember this. There is a most high God who rules over all things and is the judge of all things. And uh, we're all accountable to him. Those leaders that, uh, that's, you know, in that World Economic Forum, they seem untouchable. What can we do? Uh, but they, they are accountable to God. So remember that, and don't be surprised by it, uh, but learn to trust God and then continue to do good wherever you can. But second thing that Solomon deals with is something that we all deal with uh, every day, and that's the issue of money or finances. Right, the problem of money, uh, problem of the love of money, uh, and and so on. Verse ten, he says, "He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase." This also is vanity. And that, I put a quote in in the bulletin, uh, well-known quote by John D. Rockefeller, one of the wealthiest men in his age. Um, and he was asked, "How much money is enough money?" And he said, "Just a little bit more." Just a little bit more. Uh, those who love money are never satisfied with what they have. You see, that's that's the problem. When you love money, uh, you're you're never satisfied. The Bible says, "For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil." Uh, but the problem is that, that there's none of us that's immune to this, uh, whether you're rich or whether you're poor. 
you, you know, you can love money that you don't have. You can love money and want more, even if you don't have it. Or if you have a lot of money, you you still love it and want more. Uh, and um, if we make money or possessions our focus, uh, we'll never be satisfied. And, and so, what's the solution to the problem of the love of money? Uh, well, first of all, to learn, as Jesus said in Luke 12. Verse 15, he said, take heed, beware of covetousness, for a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Life does not equal money. It does not equal possessions. We know that. Uh, If if we talk to each other, we all know that, but we don't often live that way. Uh, We live as if that it is true, that that money does equal uh, the good life. But Jesus says, no, watch out. Your life doesn't consist in in the abundance of things you possess. And then secondly, instead of greed, we need to learn contentment. Hebrews uh, chapter 13, verse 5, be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Uh, Do you struggle with contentment? Welcome to the club. (laughs) It's something we all struggle with, uh, and, and I do as, as well. But what happens, Solomon asks in, in, in verse 11, what happens when goods increase? If you, if you become really uh, wealthy, and there are a, a lot of people who are in this category. Well, he says more people are required to manage all of that wealth and the possessions. You have to hire servants and money managers and accountants and lawyers and and more trouble comes with more money in other words Uh, he's just saying that's a fact of life he's again being an observer proverbs 15 16 says better is a little with the fear of the lord than great treasure with trouble you know if you look at the wealthy and you say oh if i only had all that they had you'd have all the troubles they had you wouldn't enjoy it like you think you would your simple life your humble life is, is not so bad. In fact, it's, it's a lot better than you think. Better to be poor and know Jesus Christ than to be rich and to be lost. We know that's true. In Luke 18, 24, uh, Jesus said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. Uh, be thankful for what you have. And uh, don't necessarily think that if you had more, it would be better. It might be harder for you to believe and trust in God. Uh, it's better to, better to work at a lowly job and be content. Uh, verse 12, he says, The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. And here's the thing. If you can lay your head down at night with a clear conscience, you've put in a, full, uh, a good day's work, and, and you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, uh, and, and, and you have been seeking Him and praying to Him. You lay your head down and you sleep. And uh, that's a good thing. You know, and, and, and if you end up in your work earning a lot of money uh, and, and, and earning more than, say, most, that's not a bad thing. Uh, that itself is, is a blessing of God. Uh, money's not the root of evil. It's the love of money. That's the root of evil. Uh, But if you make a lot of money, you've been blessed. But to whom much is given, much is required. And here's another interesting quote by Rockefeller. He said, I believe it's a religious duty 
uh, to get all the money you can, fairly and honestly, to keep all you can, and to give away all you can. I don't know if Rockefeller was a Christian, uh, but basically he's saying work hard, make money, save money, and then give it away. Make all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. Well, there's a, obviously a, a difficult balance when it comes to money. How much do you save? How much do you give away? How, you know, how much should uh, you know, we, we try to make and whatever? But um, making money is okay. Uh, especially if we have the right perspective. But the, the wrong perspective is to do what Solomon describes in verse 13. He says, There's a severe evil which I've seen under the sun, riches kept for their owner to his earth. So if we have this balance of, of making money, saving money, and giving, this person has cut off the final, the last thing, that is giving, and he's just saving, he's hoarding and how is it the hoarding, hoarding riches brings harm to the owner? Well, again, it, it can lead to uh, all kinds of, uh, uh, you know, sleeplessness, anxiety, poor health, because you're always worrying about the money and, uh, and, and all the problems that it brings with it. And so, um, and it, but it's the spiritual harm that hoarding does to us. That's the worst, because the person who hoards and is, and it's not, he's not loving God. He's not loving his neighbor uh, as he ought to. He thinks everything is his own. But you see, we need to understand, and we do understand, that, that everything belongs to God. Uh, even what God gives us is only a loan, and we're stewards of it. Uh, Proverbs 1.19 says, So are the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain. It takes away the life of its owner. So greed... For more money destroys uh, the life of the greedy. Think about Judas and how greedy he was. He, he would steal from the donations that were given to Jesus and the apostles to, to support them while they ministered. And then in the end, for 30 pieces of silver, he betrayed Christ. He sold the Lord. Uh, and he sold his soul in the process, didn't he? Because he just he realized his sin... And yet he didn't repent. He went out and hanged himself, committed suicide. Uh, that's what happens when you are greedy, when you hoard, when you put money ahead of God. And we're all tempted to do it. That's why I thought I can't ignore this passage because we all need to be reminded of this. Even though we already know it, uh, we need to be reminded of it. Look now at verse 14. He says, he says, riches perish through misfortune. Some translations put it through bad business. Um, you know, this happens. The bottom line is riches perish. Uh, they will perish when you die, that's for sure. More about that in a minute. But Proverbs 23.5 says, riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. If you have any investments in the stock market, uh, they fly away sometimes um, pretty quickly. And uh, Matthew 6:19, Jesus said this: "Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth." He says, "Because moth and rust corrupt them, and thieves can break in and steal them." Okay, uh, so riches can't be—we can't put our trust in riches. They're uncertain, they're unstable, and they perish. And uh, and, and he says. You know, when riches go, there's nothing left for, the, you know, for a son to inherit. And, that, and that's interesting that he brings that up. 
because in the Bible, uh, leaving an inheritance to our children is something that is urged on us. In Proverbs 13, 22, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. So we look at the wicked, and they, they often leave uh, large sums of money to their children. Sometimes it's not, not a good thing, right? But, but um, they don't leave true spiritual riches to them. And that's what you and I need to focus on. And we can use money. We can invest time and money into our, our, our church, into our children, into spiritual and eternal things. And we can leave. Uh, that's the kind of heritage we need to leave uh, to our children uh, primarily. Uh, look at verses 15 and 16. Now, the wealthy person, well, he may have a lot of money, but when he dies, what happens to that money? It does not go with him. Uh, he, he leaves it all. He leaves the world without a single cent. And, and I think of the story that Jesus told uh, of a, a rich man who had a great harvest. He said, I need to build bigger barns and fill up those barns. You know, and, 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 and he's thought, well, I'll, I can eat, drink, and be merry, and I've got so much laid up for many years. I don't have to worry about a, a thing for a long time. I've got it made. And, uh, and, and all of a sudden, you know, God speaks to him, Luke 2, 12, 20, and says to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Uh, then whose will these things be which you have provided? And so this man... His soul was required of him. He thought he had it made. He didn't know Christ. He died without Jesus. You see, Jesus is Jesus is the true uh, is true riches. He is the pearl of great price. Knowing him is to be wealthy. And since you and I can't take anything with us, what should we do? We need to pray for wisdom, uh, how to to manage the things that God has given us. Uh, while we're here on earth, how much do we uh, earn? How much, you know, should we save? How much should we give away? Uh, pray for wisdom. He will give it. He says he will do that. He will he will answer that prayer uh, for wisdom. And here's the thing that that it's not only money. It's 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 our time. It's our our talents and and our money uh, that we have. And we should give it all to Christ, over to Christ and his service and his kingdom. Now, part of that is that you take care of yourself, your family, and, and so on. Um, but you will never regret surrendering everything to Christ. But you will regret uh, if you don't surrender your soul to Jesus Christ in faith. You will regret that for eternity. And remember that Jesus said you cannot serve both God and money. So serve God and let money uh, be committed uh, under that service. Verse 17 describes the rich miser who doesn't put God first. And he loves money more than the Lord. It says all his days he eats in darkness. And he has much sorrow and sickness and anger. In a word, uh, the wealthy person who doesn't know Jesus Christ is a miserable soul. I don't believe uh, the, the, the outward uh, veneer of a happy, uh, wealthy person who doesn't know Jesus. Uh, they are uh, miserable, and if not now, they will be. And so they, they, have, they eat their meals in darkness. There's no light in their life. There's no joy, no peace. No peace with God. 
And sooner or later, uh, that will catch up to all who leave God out of their lives. You know, there, there's pleasure in sin. There's pleasure in worldliness. There's pleasure in the things that money can buy and possessions and all of that. Um, but it's only for a season. So the love of money is a problem. Uh, but to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior and to learn to love him and to put him first, for his kingdom first, uh, that's the way we deal with that problem, is to put Christ first in our hearts and lives. And so do you know Jesus Christ this morning? Do you love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? You see, that's what we're called to do. And to the degree we do it, and we all fall short, yes, but to the degree that we love God to love and love Christ, then the love of money will be uh, will, will not be a problem. Money will be in its right place and right perspective. But if the love of Christ uh, begins to grow cold, it will probably be replaced by money and possessions. And, and uh, vice versa, if the love of possessions and money begins to grow, then the love of Christ is going to die out. So you see, one or the other. Keep your focus on Christ and money will have its right place. Well, in verses 18 and 20, I won't spend much time on this, but he concludes the chapter with the, the wise approach to money and possessions. He says it's okay to work hard, uh, to, to, to make money, and uh, to enjoy the fruit of your labor. So it doesn't matter if you have a lot or a little or just enough or whatever. If you have an adequate amount, uh, the thing is, is to be able to enjoy what you have and to be content with what God has blessed you with. And um, that's a gift, he says. And, 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 and if it is a gift, then give thanks. Give thanks for the food you eat. Uh, give thanks for everything else. And uh, enjoy what you have as a gift of God. Jay Adams uh, concludes, he, he says, Solomon wants us to freely enjoy what God graciously allows us to earn, so long as we do not hoard, do not withhold from those in need, and do not make wealth our ambition in life out of love for money. And, and, and so verse 20 is the last verse of the section. He says, he will not dwell unduly on the days of his life, this person, because God keeps him busy with the joy of his heart. Uh, you're not going to worry about money if Christ is the joy of your heart. Can you sing the words of the hymn and mean it? Uh, Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. So knowing Jesus, following Jesus, having Jesus as your first love, having him as your treasure, that's the solution to these problems we're dealing with today. Trust in Christ uh, when people are oppressing you or, or oppressing others. There's injustice all around us. Trust in Christ when you're tempted to love money uh, and, and possessions. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. The things of the world then will grow dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray.